Hello, and welcome to another episode of Why They Win. My guest today is SCS legend Andy McNabb, who's as revered for his books as he is for his tough mindset. Life's about taking a punt, he says, and just seeing what happens. When he left the army, he was the most highly decorated soldier in British history. He wrote Bravo 2-0, about a time he was captured and tortured in Iraq, and it became the biggest selling war book of all time. Now with me today, he talks about the morality of killing people, being a medically certified psychopath, the monopoly on righteousness that each country pretends they have in war, how he produces two books a year, including his latest Tom Buckingham thriller, State of Emergency, and the gift of feeling fear when under threat. Specifically, he discusses what was on his mind when he got tortured in Iraq. But his mindset between being a soldier and becoming a best-selling author has never changed. I find it very easy to accept when I'm in the shit, he says. I accept what's happening and I just get on with it. Because I have no control over what's happening with me. Plus, there's also something in the back of my mind that always says, you know what, it'll be all right. Andy McNabb, welcome to the show. Andy McNabb, thank you so much for your time. Um, what I want to talk to you about is, is mental toughness. I mean, you're famous for uh, how prolific you are with your books. Uh, you're famous uh, for your exploits in the SAS. But your mental toughness is something very unique. And whether it's in the forthcoming Tom Buckingham book or it's the sorted books you had, the, the Good Psychopath Guide, what is it about your life that helped you develop that mental toughness? Um, I don't, you know, I just don't know. I don't, because I don't look at it as, a, as, as you know, the, the mental toughness. It, it just is. I think um, certainly as a kid, there was, there was, a, there was a, um, a, a, a lot of confidence, in, you know, ignorant confidence about everything's going to be all right. All I've got to do is get on, get on with it. Um, and even as a kid, you know, I, I, it was, it's very clear to me that no, me, nobody owed me anything. Um, and I don't know owe anybody anything. You just got to get on. And, and, you know, if it goes wrong, well, you sort of, hopefully nobody knows about it. It's gone wrong. You retract <laughs> and then you try something else. So it was, it was something that went on really, without realising it, only as I got older, I realised that, that I was doing it as a kid. And, and then getting in the army, um, which wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sort of uh, the plan to, to, to join the army. But I actually got in the army and I looked at the stuff that I was getting involved with, whether it was in the infantry or, or, or later with, with um, special air service, uh, almost as a mutual contract. You know, so what they were giving me ever since, you know, I joined as a, as a 16 year old uh, junior soldier, uh, they were giving me loads of stuff that I've never had. Even, you know, it, it's almost cliche, but hot water and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was amazing. I thought, well, mutual contract. Here I am. They're giving me all this stuff. Uh, and on top of that, they're paying paying me this is what they want me to do so get on with it and the more you got on with it the better you got at it the 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 the, the better chances of promotion so the more you got it, you know and it and it was just that whole thing of well this is what I do and um, so there wasn't anything of sort of that that whole point of you know oh you know I'm going to be tough about it it just because mm. that was the environment but you're getting rewarded and so get, is yeah. that the thing in the back of the way there, there, there's a there, there, there's a reward but and and what been quite good at, as I said before, as, as a kid, if something doesn't work, going back to that point, I don't owe anybody anything. Nobody owes me anything. And the, and, the, and the fact is that that makes it very easy for me to admit if I've made a mistake. So I go, right, 
that doesn't work. I've cocked that up, so therefore move out and try try something else. Whereas what I, what I found certainly being out of the military and involved in the media and that, and that sort of uh, and and actually culturally, it, it's always someone else's fault if something goes wrong. So it's you know if you trip over a paving stone, well it's the it's the local council's fault, or it's it's always someone else's fault. It, we find it very hard to accept the responsibilities of of, of what we're doing. I find it quite easy. Um, do you find it frustrating uh, coming out of the the military world where people do? Look, scapegoat others where they don't have a hard undercarriage any anymore. Um, I did initially when I got out first. Certainly, the first couple of years, I didn't really sort of get it again because I've been doing this military stuff mm. since I was sixteen. So I got out, done eighteen years of it, and um, we in the military we, we call civilians you know well many many names. One of the nicer ones are pencil necks, you know, little, because they're always whinging, always moaning. And so I, I fell into that, that, that point of going, well, it's true, of course, everybody else's fault. There was, you know, there was- I, You I read, fell into that? I, I fell into it, not moaning, but under, you know, saying, oh, it's true, clearly it's true, because right, everyone's yeah. moaning. Or the fact is, I say, right, we're gonna do it Wednesday at three o'clock, and actually, Wednesday at three o'clock comes, no one's there, oh, we're, we're gonna do it next week sometime. So it took me a while to understand that, actually, this is the real world. You know, where right. I was, I was, in a, I, was, I was in a little tribe. That's not the real world. This is the real world, right. and that's how it works. So therefore, um, uh, th 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 this is where I've got to sort of work and operate and, and, and you know, become a, a, a sort of person in. So um, I, I find it an advantage. But you, um, you, you said in, in I think, uh, the first Good Psychopath uh, Guide that you, you were a psychopath but a good psychopath. Yeah. Um, is that a bit of a device or do you actually genuinely think there's something about your wiring and the wiring of the men you served with that's different? The, well, they're not, not, not within the, 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 the military, no, not everybody's a psychopath. What I've learned through the, the clinical trials that I've done at, at um, uh, uh, University of Oxford um, was that there is this, this uh, subsect, if you like, of, of, of society, which is just under 1%. So when we talk about psychopaths, we think of them, you know, running around with axes and you know, or Dexter and all these these, these sort of guys. But actually, within that within that small less than one percent, there's even a small set of of what we call a good functioning um, psychopaths, and and they are quite dominant um, in in the military, in the law, politicians, uh, you know, in, in political sphere, um, the um, uh, the financial areas, and bizarrely, the very people that got us into the financial mess. We need them to get us out. You know, it's that sort of uh, uh, bizarreness. And, and increasingly, um, the research has shown a lot within um, uh, the medical profession. You know, so certainly in neurosurgery, and where the 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 mm. the fact of just being focused and getting on. Mm. with what you're doing to the exclusion of, of everything else. And it's something that I've always had. Again, you know, as I said before, as a kid, always knew everything was all right. I just, you know, it didn't matter. Well, I don't need to go to school because everything's going to be all right. I'll sort that out. I'll do this. I'll do that. Um, uh, there was always this, this, this confidence and this belief everything would uh, 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 be okay. You were born with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I didn't realise it at the time until I started doing these 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 trials. And again, I was I was approached um, uh, by the um, uh, Department of Exper uh, Experimental Psychology at Oxford because um, they were doing these clinical trials on on again these these groups of people to see where these you know good functioning psychopaths exist. And as I went through those 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 series of tests over uh, two or three days, um, and then the, the 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 whole sort of diagnosis was made. It was like a, a, a you know, the penny had dropped. It was like, bing, it was a light bulb moment. I go, ah, oh, it all makes sense now. It all makes sense. Because up until then, um, 
I haven't thought I'm weird or I'm different and all that. It mm. just is. It's just the it just is. So uh, going back to you know the, where we think that the pencil necks are all slack because they don't mm. turn up on time and all that frustration initially. But then I think, well, do you know what? This is the real world. This is an advantage to me. Mm. You know, the more slack people they are, the more you know. We say, oh, well, these you know people are stupid and all that. That's great. I, I never complain. It's good. The more stupid people are out there, and the more slack people, the better it is for the people like me who want to put a bit of effort in because there's less competition. Do, do, do people in the army come up to you and say, you know, oh, I tried VSS, never got in? Is there a sense they would have never got gone in anyway? Yeah, there, well, there's two groups really. There's 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 uh, uh, the lads who who go on selection. They know they're never going to get in, you know, and there, really? there's different reasons why they want to go, where they get a bit of credibility and all that 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 that, that sort of stuff. Um, and then they're normally the, the 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 group of people when somebody comes back who's been really trying and has failed selection, and it could be because of, of just basically getting an injury. You know, it's quite a brutal sort of system, and and people will fail because they've got an injury and they can't make the timings and they can't do what's required. So that's it. They go back. It's quite a brutal sort of um, uh, 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 selection process. Um, uh, but statistically, because so many people, then you'll still get the candidates coming through. So you get people come back and these, you know, the, the ones that, you know, oh, you know, I nearly made it or I could have made it and all that. They're normally the ones who give these these people who are really trying a, a hard time. So when, when, you know, you get it quite a lot with military, oh, I could have done it, but the kids but you, and all you that. failed. You of all people, yeah, yeah, you yeah. failed. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. So what were your thoughts immediately after? Uh, hopefully I'll get on the next one. You knew you you had the thing in, inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah, because I got you know basically I was too cocky on the first selection, <laughs> and basically because I'd done all the recies, I'd worked everything out, I knew where I was going, and what I'd done, I took this what I thought was going to be a shortcut through a forestry block, but actually because it was a big sort of obviously the fire breaks going through, but actually what I didn't realise was that what they'd been doing, they'd been chopping the trees down, so it was almost like an obstacle course. So my timings were rubbish. Um, so when I went for the you know the fact is well you're off. Um, it was second to last day, and oh. then uh, yeah, I know, a nightmare. And he said, "Right, do you, do you want to come back on the next one?" I said, well, of course. So you only get two goes, right? Okay. Because uh, otherwise, you might continuously take places of candidates right. that, that might eventually get in. So um, fortunately, I was given a, a, a place on the next selection, and um, in my my mind, it was like, "Well, you only get two goes." Basically, I don't want to be in the army if I'm not within the, within the regiment now, or what we now called United Kingdom really? Special Forces. So what I'll do, if I pass it, great. If I don't, well, I'll get out of the army. And it was, it was simple as that. Because going through that process and being in Hereford and the different way that it works, very unmilitary. And in fact, the camp in used to look like a red brick university. It was quite a you know sort of strange environment, you know, not a military type of environment. I said, well, I quite like this. Um, so if I don't get in, I'll get out. I'll get out as simple as that. And, and do you employ that attitude to say that your forthcoming book coming out? H how do you go about writing so much material? You know, you have a very busy life. Yeah. Uh, Hollywood, the books, um, you do loads of stuff with the military still, your uh, private defence. Mm -hmm. How do you produce it? Where do you produce it? And how do you get it done? Yeah, it's well, it's, it's, you just get on. It's um, certainly on, on, on the writing, the, the, the um, uh, you sign a contract. So, right, great, you're going to give me money, you're going to get advances and all that sort of stuff. Great getting the money, but then you've got to produce the goods. So what happens is that I just get on. So from a, a writing point of view, if you look at the, if you like, on the, on the craft, mm. if you like, um, too many people spend too much time thinking about something rather than doing it. So, and the, 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 as humans, we're a lot better at criticising something that's already there than we are creating. It's just, that's how we're made up. It's easy to 
look at something and go, mm. that's crap, mm. uh, rather than create it in the first place. So what I do is immediately start to write. Even if I know that I'm writing a load of old rubbish, because I know the next day, when I read it the next day, I go, that's crap, I don't mean that. What I mean is, because we're a lot easier at, at, at criticising than creating. So if I get the work down, then from there I can then start uh, uh, start working. Um, and it's just really putting time aside. I like travelling. There are a lot of travelling, and I love travelling because that's, it's not mm. dead time. It's really mm. productive time for writing. So, you know, whether it's a long-haul flight or... Or even on trains. On Fantastic. the phone? On the phone. Yeah, I do loads on phones. Do Absolutely, you? yeah. Loads on phones. So whether it comes from ideas or um, uh, or even newspaper pieces. Every, you know, it's just done on, on phone. Do you know where you're going with the story? Or do you just yes. start? No, 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 no. No, it's very, yeah. In, in, in that, because of the amount of, of, of deadlines. And again, great. Take the money. Well, you've got to produce. <laughs> you know, and if you don't produce, you know, everybody's got the idea that publishers are, you know, nice people and they, you know, little sort of leather patties on their, on their jackets. Yeah. No. Because they have got then they've got yeah. the slots for you know with with the you know with with, with the you know the booksellers and the public and the printers and all that. So if you don't produce, well everyone's in trouble. So there's financial penalties. So you've got to produce. There, there's the date for production. You, know, you get so those penalties. Get, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So what happens is 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 that that's the incentive to get mm. on, and actually uh, 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 do it. So from there, it's a very. Um, uh, uh, almost mechanical process of plotting, which I've learned from film. Because basically, all, all, when we read, what we do, we create a lot of pictures in our heads that hopefully make, make sense as yeah. they go along. There's some continuity in the pictures. So writing it, all to me, is, is just a, a group of pictures. Um, and I don't think of um, uh, uh, chapters as chapters. You know, I look at them as, as, as segments of a, of a, you know, uh, a three-act drama. So for me, the end of a chapter is when the Daz advert comes on. That's the, that's the, that's the adverts, because it's a collection of pictures. Because I was brought up, not reading books, I was brought up on TV. I watched TV, I watched films, you know, and all that. So basically we, you know, it, it, it sort of certainly within the West, we, have, we, have a, um, we already have a pre-programmed um, uh, 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 sort of set of values mm. for when we're watching stories or reading stories. And ultimately, it's a free act drama. You know, nothing much changed in that storytelling technique from ancient Greek sort of storytelling, because it's all the same, three-act drama, five-act drama, whether you're looking at soap or whether you're looking at a film. So um, for me, I, I, I plot it exactly the same. How as, do you plot it? How do you come up with the ideas? Obviously, you've seen a lot. Yeah, How do you I, do yeah. It? Well, for instance, uh, um, the, uh, the, the next uh, Tom Buckingham, it, um, uh, what happens is that, that uh, this Christmas just gone, um, I, uh, uh, I went on a trip to Antarctica, down at the South Pole. And, uh, you know, as you do, get roped into these things, you know, makes it, oh, we're thinking about it, you know, about a year and a bit ago. Yeah, fancy get going. roped into. Yeah, well, I, I went to this guy's house. He's a friend in, in, in Cambridge. He said, look, we're thinking about maybe sometime next year going to Antarctica. So what we do, we're, initially, we're going to climb Mount Vincent, which is the, the highest peak there. And then we're going to ski to the, the South Pole. Do you fancy coming? And I've gone, yeah, 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 thinking nothing's going to come of it, you know, a load of our waffle. And literally a couple of months later, he rang up and he went, right, we're on. And I go, well, we're on what? I don't know what you're on about. He says, right, we've got the dates, we're, you know. And fortunately, not for him, but for me, uh, he broke his legs, uh, broke one leg three, three months before the Antarctica trip. So he didn't go on it, so we didn't have to climb Mount Vincent. So we just done the, just done the ski to the South Pole instead. It's still, it's still a big deal. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. How did you get deal. the fitness? Or did you go... 
just work but it won't you know, just get on yeah just get really? on with it yeah ultimately it, it's again we and again with with with, with sort of with with our culture, because we you know we're wealthy, so we're all of a sudden because we've got choice and opportunity, we start you know oh well that bit of kit is good, but that bit of kit is better. Mm. No matter what bit of kit you've got, mm. ultimately what you've got to do is put one foot in front of each other to cover the distance. But That's how what you've got to do. You had the conditioning still. Well, they, 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 it's something that I do anyway. It's it, you know ever you know, again because I've been doing it since I was sixteen. So you know still train, still you know go to the gym, go running. Done a bit more um, uh, running. Uh, longer distance running, um, but yeah, you know, yeah. I just knew I, you know, get one foot in front of the other. You just got to do it for like you know, until you get there, sort of thing. So that that, that was I wasn't worried about that, um, uh, and it was really think certainly about the kit. You know, take recommendations of of what different types of of kit they're taking. But ultimately, hundreds years ago, you had lads running around in in, in equivalent of a barber jacket, you know, and a bit of old toweling around it, around it, and they still done it. So it's not that bad. It's just a matter of getting on with it, which is whether that's work or whether it's doing things like, you know, going to Antarctica, get on with it. So how did you channel that into the book? Um, so what I done with that experience of the, you know, the environment. So if you're thinking about a book, so uh, one of the first things I think of is the environment. Mm. So whether it's, you know, it's, it's tropical environment, urban environment, or, you know, desert or whatever it may be. So because of just being uh, down to uh, uh Antarctica, you know, you know, minus 50, all that, you know, wind chill factors, all that sort of stuff, the day-to-day -day existence of living down there. In storytelling, it's so important rather than just, you know, Jack went here and Jack done that and this is what happened. It's, it's what he felt like, what the environment was like, you know, whether it's an urban environment, what's on the TV, what's the adverts in Tehran? So there'd be different adverts, you know, the, 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 the shops are have different fizzy drinks and some of them are funny, yeah. funny names, you know, that sense of, of, of place. So, Using that that sense of place, thinking, okay, well, where does Tom go now? So let's get Tom going to the North Pole, to the Arctic, because politically there's a lot more going on up there. You know, Russia's making a claim, can they Northwest Passage open up, all that sort of stuff. So say, okay, well, first and foremost, what I can do is now is write about sense of place mm. because I've just done it uh, further south. So you can talk about the daily routine and just the, you know that little bits and pieces of just little detail that you wouldn't get if you went on Google. Uh, exactly the same as weapons, you know, you can, I don't know, outstrip a weapon down or whatever it is on Google. So you can put that into a book. But actually, every weapon's got, you know, number one, how it smells or, you know, different oils, different smells. And, and different weapons have different sort of bits and pieces that are not as perfect as they should be. So you can put that into the into the story if you know. So just on Antarctica, I can put those bits and pieces, you know, um, the daily life existence for... To, um, uh, for Nickstone in, um, uh, in, in the Arctic. So therefore, you've got sense of place, you've got the, the, the whole sort of uh, tactile stuff that's going on. So the, the next stage, you've got the environment, the next stage is going, right, where does Nick, you know, where is he at the beginning and where is he at the end of the story? So he can be up, he can be down, or he can be neutral again. Nine, eight, ten times, it's always good to have him sort of going down in, in the negative uh, uh, point because that can, as a, as a start off. So I know from the beginning, because of the, the last, last um, uh, Nick Stone, that he's on a downer because, you know, he's, he's, you know the death of his child and, and, and his wife. So therefore, okay, why is he in the Arctic? Well, he's there because he's been offered the job. He's going to do it. You know, what does he want to do? He just wants to get out of what he's doing. So he's going to go off. And of course, it's a thriller, so things go wrong. So where, where does... Tom start, uh, Nick start, sorry. Where does uh, Nick start and where does Nick 
finish. And then from there, start doing what's called the Bible. Exactly the same as a TV program or a film of the characters. You know, what are the characters, what are their traits, where were they born, what they... You work this out? In oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Do you base it on people? Because yes, yes, of course, yeah, there are amalgams of people, yeah, absolutely. And, you, and, and again, you've, 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 you've got to play with it a bit because you need different people because you need, mm. you know, if you've, got a, if you've got a thriller, you've got a drama, you need friction. So there's got to be playing with different characters. So then I'd write the Bible of, of, of the characters. I know where, know where Nick's going to be in the beginning. I know where he's going to be in. I know, the, the, if you like, the characters mm. who are going to be in, in the mix. Uh, and and then start to write the story. You know, okay, there's going to be an element of politics about it. There's going to be an element of you know who done it. All those set things, and it's just a matter of playing with them. Um, so I know that I know the story. Then I start to, in effect, storyboard it. Do you? Uh, yeah, but I, I, I do it on a laptop rather than a, a story. So I storyboard it on on a uh, just on line a after line. Well, no, I use I, uh, there's a there's a, uh, a scriptwriter's. Um, which is the 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 the, the standard script writing uh, software draft. called Final Draft. Final Draft. So in that you can storyboard. So I use it for books as opposed to, to scripts. Right. And so I, I just you know bank not in great detail, but I have some I, again using a free act drama. So and how many different boards would you have? Oh, so? and, and anything anything up to in some cases it adds well from the beginning maybe less than a hundred. But then as I'm starting to. As I start to write and you start to get the, the rhythm and then I, what I do, I, I, I add a layer, not only the text that I'm writing, because I look at it and go, crap, this is what I mean. But then I start to layer onto the, uh, uh, onto, onto the pages, onto the storyboard, and they'll get bigger and, so and bigger. the whole process takes how long, roughly, per book? Um, uh, it should take four months, but really, in reality, it takes six. Wow, that is quick. Yeah. I, well, it's just getting on with it. In some days... Well, it's famine of, I'm not say some days it, 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 it's, it's slack because some days it just doesn't exist because there's other stuff. So what happens is, which I've now, you know, find it an advantage rather than continuously get into it because you can get a little bit blind. So maybe I'll have a, a, a frenzy for about two, three weeks um, and then might not do anything for two weeks. So how many hours are you talking a week? Again, that, that's that's quite hard to quantify because some days I'll, I'll uh, certainly if I'm in something where well, I know what I want to do, and I could be in there like 12, 15 hours. It's, really? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy. It got kettle, just get on with it. It's like, <laughs> so, uh, and then some days, you know, you know, it could be sort of four hours. I would love to be somebody, you know, it's like some of these guys can start 10 o'clock and finish at four every day. Um, you know, I know guys who will do literally before 10 o'clock in the morning and do 2,000 words. Really? I'd love to be able to do that, but I just can't. I just can't do it, you know. And then uh, the desk faces away from the window because I always look outside. Certainly, if the sun's out, and you go, mm, you know. So <laughs> it's like this little. You know, my wife calls it the cave because they just <laughs> put the lights on and stuff. I'll be looking outside, thinking, Ooh, you know. Um, do you have any superstitions or habits when you're? No, writing? not at all. I, you know, I think because I came into this as everything really as a punt. So it was one book, the offer to write, you know, Bravo 2 Zero. Okay, I'll give it a go. No idea how to write. Uh, but then, you know, what I've learned over the years, it, well, there's loads of people to do. So therefore, you go and ask them. And what I found is if you ask people about what they, they do or they enjoy, they fall over themselves to tell you mm. because they want to, you know, they, they want somebody else to enjoy it. So there's never been any problem. Going, Look, this is what I don't know. So what was the best advice you received and who is it from? Uh, the best advice I got was bizarrely from uh, uh, my editor at, at Transworld, who said, read Joe Simpson's Touching the Void. Right. And, okay. uh, uh, which was great, nice thin book. 
yeah. get it done in, yeah, in, a, yeah. in a day. But actually, because I, when I, I, I delivered the first draft of Bravo 2.0, it was, it was quite bland in a way. It was almost like a patrol report. Here we were, this was happening, you, you know, that sort of stuff. He said, well, you, again, you need sense of place, you need environment, you need all those, those sort of things, what you was feeling, what you was thinking. Um, and he said, read uh, Touch and Avoid. So you knew you had something. He knew you had a story there. Yes, 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 because I could articulate it. Yeah, but yeah. what it was was getting it down on, on, on paper. So I'd learn, you know, again, you know, chapters and how to work it out and get your little sort of, you know, get your twist in, page breaks, I learned all that, that stuff. And then he said, well, that's good, but what we need now is that sense mm. of, you know, uh, touching the book, fantastic book. I only about six months ago watched the film because I didn't want to spoil the book. And the film's great. I should have watched it when it came out. But... Um, uh, uh, touching the void for me was fantastic, in a way that that you know, the, the, well, you know, uh, both guys could describe you know being cold, tying the ropes, or, or literally cutting that rope, and you know the sensation of falling, and, and not only falling, so you got the physical explaining the pain, but actually, you know, what he felt when he was lying there afterwards, going, right, that's it, that's it, you know, but then thinking, oh, do you know what? Maybe not, and so that 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 emotion. Um, and again, it was in, in, in sort of, you know, the first person narrative. So that, that emotion uh, and the, the environment for me was a great sort of starting ground. To say, right, I get it now. I understand. And then, again, another la layers into Bravo to Zero. And now Bravo to Zero, is it still the biggest selling war, war book, book of all time? Yeah, around the world, time. yeah. Still so now, that, yeah. that must be an incredible confidence booster. But at the same time, I know you have pedigree in dealing with stressful situations, mm. but do you feel the pressure? No, not at all. Because no, everything is a punt. You know, it's only about... Is that basically your rule? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Look, for, 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 everything, you know, the reason... Um, and do you think everyone else is taking a punt? They're just not admitting it? Well, yeah, I think, you know, again, because nobody owes you anything. Mm. You know, nobody, you know, nobody says you must be a writer or you must be doing this job. We're like, no, you know, it's... it's so the, the, the fact is that it was given the opportunity, give it a go, mm. and it worked. Literally, literally, the, um, uh, Bravo 2.0 was, was getting published. I was working for a private military company in Colombia, and they rang up and they said, uh, "Is this doing all right? You know, do you want to, do you want, you know, do you, do you want to do another one?" I go, "Well, what do you think? Of course, great. I'll, you know, let's get into this this writing sort of business." And it was only six, seven years ago that I've had proper, formal sort of long-term contracts, free book contracts. It's mm. always been a punt. Do you want to? Yeah, okay, I'll give a give it a go and see what happens. And and, and what happens from success always, you know, that thing, success breeds success, is very, very true. So all of a sudden you get offers to, you know, do stuff in film. You go, right, we'll give it a go. So there's continuously what happens, there's these doors. And you go, well, okay, right, you've got three doors. Go through one. If it works, great. Because at some stage there's going to be another three doors. If it doesn't, come out the door and, go and give the other one a go. I mean, you're on, on uh, the Michael Mann film Heat, De Niro. Yeah, you know. yeah. So is it is that the result of your hard work the doors present themselves? You feel yes. I think that the the, the it's it's you know there's an element of, of of luck and timing in all things. And one of the things that, that I, I see I think over the years is people go oh, we never have any luck you know or that never you know so actually there's 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 mm. the other way of looking at it is opportunity and it's recognizing the opportunity. And a lot of people say oh it never happens for me and like well they're not recognizing the opportunity. Or maybe recognise it and don't want to give it a go because they feel uh, fear of failure. Um, and, and literally, success of Bravo Two Zero opened up uh, the film business for me. And then there, thought, right, well, this is yeah, this is really interesting. Not so much in front of the camera, behind the camera is really interesting. Um, you know, whether you're the productions or the directors and all that that sort of stuff. Um, uh, but the only reason that you're going to continue in that business 
is if you do your job right and work hard. Because if you're just there and you're just, you know, you're just having fun and you're not really taking it seriously, well, you won't get asked to do anything else. In fact, didn't you pull it off so well in Heat that um, when Bank of America was raided? Yes, it was, yeah. Exactly, copied it, yeah. What happened there exactly? Well, what what happened there was um, um, uh, there was a, a, a... the Bank of America in Los Angeles got hit, and the uh, the guys who who done the raid, free free armed robbers, um, they were there with automatic weapons, body armor. Um, Los Angeles police come down to try and stop them. They didn't have uh, bigger caliber weapons to actually take these guys on, so they're taking hits with nine millimeters. The robbers and the body armor was just taking it. It was a big shootout. Nine policemen were shot. No one was killed. Nine policemen were shot. Police were going in to try and grab assault rifles from the the gun stores because they needed you know a bigger caliber excuse me and um so they the, you know the literally were walking down the road you know yeah. firing ak-47s down at, at, at the police so when they then the um uh there was a couple was killed another one was wounded and, and and eventually died but when they then went to the apartment that they were doing it you know there was my book there there was the heat posters the you know, the, the recordings, you know, the VHS things. And all, you know, all that sort of business going on. And Because um, you were meant to be getting an award, weren't you? Yeah, exactly. Well, what it was was the uh, uh, National Rifle Association in America. They, they do these awards for the the, uh, the most realistic gunplay and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so I won this, 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 this thing. And a bit of cut glass, I suppose, or whatever it is. So I get a phone call and I said, right, you know, we're going to have this, uh, the awards. So you come over, you know, a uh, couple of tickets, come over, do the awards and all that, and, you know, a couple of days, and then and then go. Fantastic. So uh, literally about three days before we was, uh, uh, to go, First Bank of America got hit, nine policemen, you know, shot and all that. I was getting then getting called uh, uh, the terrorists. The police were calling me, oh, the terrorists trained them. You know what I mean? So it's, this is how bad it was getting at that, at that time. And we had to have a love fest with the police afterwards. Really? We, went, we still went over and, 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 and saw the police and, and done some stuff for them. But, um, so literally, First Bank of America here, I get the phone call and, uh, and I knew what was happening. I said, I'm not going. They went, nah, nah, it's not going to happen. And I said, well, can I come over anyway with the tickets? They went, nah, send them back. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it was about, about a month later, it went down to, uh, back, back to Los Angeles and, and then done a thing with the police and you know, I was just showing them how, how, you know, how these guys were copying and what was going on. Um, and, you know, and it was all right. But initially, because obviously nine, nine police officers were shot. You've been, you've um, been very open about um, your own, the time you did your own first killing. But I imagine a lot of people ask you what it's like to kill someone. Is that missing the point of the spec of the job? Yes. Yeah, I think that, that every, you know, basically when you talk about, about the sort of, you know, people in the military, so it's all about killing people. Um, basically, that's a smaller part of, of the military. So if you look at the job spec, if you like, of the infantry, that is what they do, is mm. to close uh, 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 close with the enemy uh, in close combat and destroy them. That's basically their, their job spec. So therefore, you've got to get young men and, and, and increasingly young women getting ready to, to go and do that job. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's what you do sort of thing. So the, the, the focus tends to be on that, of course. But actually, it... it, it it's not as if there's a big deal that is made of it within that environment because from day one, week one, if you're in the infantry or you're in UKSF, that's what you're, you're training to do. So and it's very, very, very easy to train young men and women to kill people because you know naturally we've got the capability of, 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 of doing that. And certainly uh, uh, young men and women, you know, certainly young men near testosterone, all that stuff going on. It's very easy to, to train people to do that. Um, How do you do that, though? How do you remove remove the kind of 
the moral side of it because it, it is an important role of an army. Of course, it is. Yeah. It's naive to say it's not. But and how do you how do you do that? Well, I, I, I think because we're we're in a uh, you know sort of you know uh, uh, a liberal democracy, yeah. so we, we we get uncomfortable about these things. But there are a population of young men and women who uh, who like to do that. Have no problems in killing people, and the younger you are, the, the easier that you find it anyway. And we we become quite uncomfortable about it. That young men and women, the population, like to fight. And therefore, the outlet for that is is within certainly within the, the the military to go and do that. So the moral argument of of killing people really doesn't exist in that way because that's taken away from you because your job is to close with the enemy in close contact and destroy them. So you then start to train to do that, and and the same as in 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 law enforcement, police force with with weapons and all that. A lot of that stuff becomes because it's an automatic matic sort of reaction to things. Someone shoot and then you shoot back. So what happens is that you're training people to react to situations yeah. without thinking about what they're physically doing because what they've got to do is not because you're trying to keep any moral argument out of them. What you're trying to do is that they're not worry about what they're physically doing as people are shooting at them. What they're doing is concentrating on the problem in front of them and yeah. that someone's shooting them and what they're going to do with that. The rest of it becomes an automatic thing and that's why people do stay alive rather than flapping because it becomes more of a, a, an automatic process. And it's, as an example, a, a negative example, what was happening in, um, in, I think it was the Pennsylvania police force who were using revolvers at the time. Their training was, when they're going through their combat pistol training, what they were doing, they were emptying the, uh, the, the empty cases into their hands and putting them in their pockets as they do and reloading as they're going through their, their, their combat training, you know, running from obstacle to obstacle, taking on different targets. Um, and because this become, because they didn't want to pick the brass up afterwards, you know, all, you know, nobody, not even a soldier wants to pick the brass up anyway. So they used to put it in their pocket, reload and then go on. So what was happening, police officers were getting shot because what they were doing, they were spending time emptying the, the empty cases and putting them in their pockets before they were reloading in a realistic situation. That's because they've instinctively, that's what they've learned. And that's how they have, have been, in, in effect, training, but unrealistically training. So that cost police officers' lives. And the same as the FBI, where they would be on ranges and they would draw down mm. or draw their pistol, fire two rounds at the target, and then put their pistol back into their holster. Because what they were doing were practicing the drawing down. But actually, in uh, uh, real contacts, what FBI agents were doing, they were they were drawing their pistols, taking a, a pistol shot because they're concentrating on the problem. They would then holster their weapon again, right. and then they get shot. Right. You know. So basically, what happens is you make sure you have realistic training, and that continuous repetition means that young men and women, you know, it, it, it's not as if there's a big moral debate about it. They just get on and do it, and that's why the, the, the you know, uh, certainly sort of young men and women who join the infantry, increasingly it'll be you know, women, women's all, women have always been involved in conflict. Or in, or, or in that working with the infantry and, and, and fighting. But now there'll be that legal sort of, that, that legal point that, that, that gives them the okay to do it. So um, it, it, it's quite easy to train people. You don't mm. turn them into mass murderers. You don't train them, you know, basically they're jobs. Mm. When we talk about missions on a TV show, yeah, we're on a mission, like, no, they're called jobs. Mm. They're called jobs. Everything's more low-key. And interesting, you call the other side players. Players, yeah. I find that quite interesting psychology. It's, yeah, I, I think certainly, you know, certainly you get involved in the, in the world of, of, of sort of, you know, the sort of UKSF. It, it's, you know, sometimes you're the bad guy. Sometimes you're, you're the agitator. Sometimes. So 
basically they're called players because so we're all in a game. Quite respectful in a way. Yeah, we're all in a game. Yeah, well, they've got to be because they might kill you. You've got to respect <laughs> them because they might, you know, they might be better than you. You've got, you know, they might kill you. So basically, yeah, you know, the way that we have to portray all enemies is that they're they're vastly inferior. Um, uh, yeah, let's portray it to the public. Yes, or? yeah, yeah. The portrait, right. you know, vastly inferior. Uh, we are the ones with a monopoly on righteousness and patriotism and, you know, all these sort of things, as if no one else has got that. No one's got a monopoly on those things. Yeah. So therefore, we've got to portray that to the public. But actually, the realistic time of actually getting down and getting, you know, all the party here on to go and fight these people, well, all that goes out the window because actually it's what weapons they got. And there is a very clear war, uh, law, you know, weapon of firepower. If you've got a pistol and they've got assault rifles, you're going to lose. You know, if you've got assault rifles and they've got light machine guns, you're going to lose. And you can escalate it. It's a fact. You know, it's just how it is. So you've got to make sure you've got all the toys to go and defeat people. It's, it's, not, as, it's not like the films. But you know. How do you deal with fear? You've said it very openly that when you got to the SAS, you, you were quite surprised that some real veterans there were like, oh, that was a bit scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do you bury that fear? How does anyone bury that fear? Because no, like you yeah, said... I don't think it's burying it. I th I th first of all, it's recognising. Again, we, again sort of, you know, certainly young men. Everything's all got to be macho, and you know. And again, we we watch it on TV. We see, you know, whether it's coming from action heroes to football players. Nobody's fearful. They're all straightforward. No, they're not. Everyone's flabbing. Everyone's flabbing. Even you. Everyone's flabbing. You know, it, there's there's times you look at it and you go, "Oh, I don't like this." You know, but what are you <laughs> going to do about it? Now that I understand the reasons why I look at things uh, uh, differently, um, uh, and for me, a lot of stuff becomes slow motion. Um, so what happens is that you can look at things in a, a a lot more considered way rather than sort of, you know, moving around. It, it clearly it doesn't become slow motion, but and it's not total slow motion, but things seem more clearer and 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 more uh able to work out and it's um through experience? No, no, it, it's purely through through the, 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 the condition that I've got. And it's it's that's why a lot of sports um, and again, you know, if you're looking at a lot of basketball players when they, they talk about certainly, you know, f um, uh, uh, sort of functional psychopaths. Whereas they're, they're, you know, certainly basketball, where they're, where they're, they're, they're moving towards the hoop, and there's all this chaos all around them. But actually, to them, it's very, very clear because it's almost in slow motion. They know what that guy's going to do, and they can jump up and they can do. But you're saying that's a trait within you in terms it is of a, slowing things down. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, I don't slow it down. It becomes, it, it, it feels slower, really? and so the yeah, it, it feels slower. And it was, in fact, it was Michael Mann, the the the, uh, the uh, director on on, on Heat. And he says one one of the, the the reasons why you know things are working out well and then the whole sort of process of working on a film because he says what you do you 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 can see a a, a a sort of a purpose in chaos because everybody's all jumping all over the place but actually it's very very clear to see what what it is you know which is an advantage for me you know it is clearly it's an advantage um, but then looking at certainly you know people in in special air service when they turned up and you got literally there was a couple of guys that had been in. In the, in the regiment, 16, 17 years. And we came back from a, from, from a job. And uh, I literally come, oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, special air service and all that. But actually, what they're doing, they're embracing the fear. It's a gift. It's right. a gift. There, there is, you know, and there, right. there's a term. It's a sharpening of the senses. Gift of fear. Within the military, there's a, there's, you know, there's a term, the gift of fear. And what, yeah, what happens, it brings everything down to a more realistic, um, uh, uh, if you like, point of view. Because ultimately... You could lose. It's just like in a film. If you've got a 22 uh, stone guy coming up and you're 14 stone and he hits you, in a film you get up again and you start, no, 
the reality is you're not getting up. <laughs> you're not going to get up. If he hits you, you're not going to get up. So you've got to put your time and effort of being worried about it to make sure he doesn't hit you so you can carry on doing, you know, whether you're trying to get around him or you're trying to drop him yourself. So it, it's that, that, that the gift of fear just focuses everything. And what happens in our bodies as well is, 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 is in a way, um, very counterproductive because what happens is, is that the body virtually, because of fear, wants to close down anything that it thinks is not necessary. It wants to keep the major organs well supplied with blood. It wants to narrow our vision. That's why you get narrow vision and why a lot of people can't see what's going on left and right of them if they're, they're in, a, in a contact situation where it becomes all sort of confusing because everything just focuses on that immediate threat. Um, and that's why the body, and that's why you know, people, um, you know, we have to tell oh, shit himself. Well, actually, that happens. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah it happens. Don't, don't a lot of people shit. Yeah, it shit happens. Yeah, 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 it happens. And that's, uh, that's not because they're scared. That's because the body wow. closes everything down and says, well, we don't need to worry about the sphincter at the moment. We need to worry about keeping blood to the, to the heart, to the lungs, so you to the major. Yourself. Yeah, you just saw, yeah. And it's. Um, are they uh, embarrassed, the other soldiers have done it? Well, no, yeah, young, young guys. If it happens to right. a couple of young guys, they get embarrassed. You go, lads, it's all right. It's a natural. It's happened to everyone. Yeah, and there's a thing called a combat crap. So everybody tries to have a good dump. <laughs> before they do anything, because clearly, you know, certainly if you're older and it happens, people just take the piss out of it. But, but everybody understands, you know, a lot of people, it's, it's a normal you? reaction. Eh? No, you? no, it's never, no. I've done it through um, uh, sickness and diarrhea, that's for sure. But, but the, the, if you're looking at all the firefighters, it was something like about 70% of the firefighters during 9-11 shit themselves at some stage. Really? And, and again, for them, because they're not in that environment all the time within the military and all that, for them, you know, there's, there's a yeah. big, a lot of embarrassment and so a lot of psychologists are going down, this is natural, mm. you're normal. So you're not abnormal. This is a, you know, in effect, it's a good thing. So what happens is that the body is able to close itself down and just concentrate on the problem. And one of the byproducts of that is this whole thing where, where it's certainly, you know, the sinks and they go, well, we don't need you at the moment. Mm. Let's get all that blood supply further up, you know, supporting the, uh, the, the, the major limbs, uh, the major organs. Um, so that happens a lot, you know, and it's, that's why, well, for me, I used to two tubes, uh, two, two sticks of licorice to make sure you have a dump in the morning before really? a job. Because otherwise you get an embarrassment. <laughs> so, but it's something that we... You know, it's the, a thing. The whole thing of combat is, is you know, we, we've just had thousands and thousands of years of lying about it because it's got to be all macho, you know, but it's not. <laughs> you know, it's not far from it. Um, so to have these guys getting back and going, well, I don't like that, was actually really refreshing because mm. they were realistic about it. How about, how about torture? How, how, did you, how did you hold up with... That during and after. Well, I, I, it was first of all, it was well going back to you know as I said at, at the beginning. I find it very easy to accept when I'm in shit, and it's easy. And you go, right, that's it. I, you know, there's, there's, I can't moan about. It. There's nobody to moan to. And even if I could moan, what are they going to do about it? I've got to accept what is, is happening. Um, and, and in anything, I find it that, that quite easy to do. And. And again, at the same time, there's always a little bit of me that thinks, do you know what? It'll be all right. You know, because even as a kid, you know, if it'd be in the shit, I think, well, I'll get out of 70% of it. You know, it might be a little bit left on me, but I'll get away with it. And I always tended to. So there was all this thing. I said, right, well, just got to worry about the problem. Um, uh, and, and the fact is, I've got no control. I've got no physical control of what these people are going to do. And for me, um, I... Part of the, what's called the R2I training, resistance to interrogation training, um, we listen to a lot of people who've been held against their will, whether it's political prisoners, prisoners of war, financial hostages, anybody like that. And basically they, they, they come to Hereford and they talk about their experiences. And 
the, the, the argument of this is a week of, of listening to people. Um, if there's one sentence that helps you when you, if you're in that situation, because what we're called prone to capture troops, you know, us air crew, those, those sort of people, mm. um, it's worth sitting there for, for, for a week. And for me was a, he was a, a US Marine Corps phantom jet pilot. Um, 80 missions, you flew in Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, if you flew 80 missions, that was the end of your tour. So he was on his second tour, he was on his 77th mission, and he got shot down over Hanoi, and he had six years in solitary confinement. Six? Six years, this guy. And he turned up, this guy, he's got, you know, he had no hair, no teeth, no muscle mass on his, on his ass because it was beaten off him. And he literally... Beaten off him? Be, yeah, just beaten. He was, he was strapped down with bamboo that was frayed, and he would just be beaten. To get answers or just... No, just, just to, to interrogate. You know, there for six years, you know. Um, and uh, his cell was three and a half paces long and, and, uh, and less than a arms, you know, full, uh, both arms out wide. Six, oh, six years he had there. You know, the, the, the military had told his wife that he's dead, all this sort of stuff. And he said, at first, what it was, you know, I'm a Marine Corps sort of, you know, pilot, so he was, he was quite macho about it. He says, if you resist two guards, well, just bring in four guards. You're never going to win. So he said, it took me a while to understand that don't worry about what they're doing to you physically. Because you've got no control. Mm. Just let it happen. Why, why resist it? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You've got no control. What you can do is control what's going on in your mind. So how do you do that? That's a bit fascinating. Well, well, for him, well, you know, I started taking leaf out of his book. What he done, he, he built a house and he, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, so I tried doing that, and it was just taking too long, quite frankly. You build a whole house. Yeah, this guy head. built a house. He repainted. <laughs> he had six years to do it. And I thought, right, I'll have a go. I'll start. So in his head, he's there being tortured. Built a house. Yeah, all the, all the time. Just built a house. He repainted it because he was there for so long. Like, he'd, he'd done the whole thing. The yeah. colour, you know. I'd done the thing from, from, from where I lived. He used to work, walk through a park in Hereford, over the bridge, over the river. to get in town. So I used to do that, that walk. Um, uh, so I tried the, the house building thing. It did, really didn't work. So I, I tried the, the, the walk. Um, but actually, it, it was really, for me, it was the freedom of, of knowing I've got no control. So just let me get on with it. Um, How long will they last? Well, it all depends. In in, in the in the interrogation centres, they would last. Uh, I think the longer. Well, again, there's no sense of time because you mm. you the, the guards by you know we do the same thing as well with our guards. There would be no sense of time. No watches could be seen. There was never any regular meal time. You know, so there was no. All you had was light and dark um, to try and judge it out. So you know, there would be a couple of hours, or in some cases, certainly towards the end, where you just become unconscious quicker. You know, you might even be there for twenty minutes, then dragged out again. So, um, which was good. So the quicker you become unconscious, you get dragged out and they get the next one in. Um, so it was really sort of, it, it, it was the time in the cells and this, this, this thing where they would come into the cell and we're getting bombed by our own people as well. So we're taking hits in a compound. And, uh, and at a later date, we found out they knew we were there. <laughs> You're like, cheers, lads, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. And then, um, um, so, the, but then you'd have the guards coming in. Because obviously they're, they're taking hits. They're, they're getting killed in the bombing. You know, Baghdad was just annihilated every night. And obviously the families are getting killed. So you had all that right. sort of frustration going on. But it's just a matter of accepting it. Um, and just hoping that, that, you know, there will be, there, something's going to happen. One, one or two things. The war's going to be won. And then whatever goes on after that, you know, negotiations, try and get people out or whatever that's going on. But that will be the next stage. Or the fact is, won't make that. You get killed by your own bombs or get killed in the, the interrogations. But it wasn't as if I was worried about that because I had no control, which I got from this this pilot. He got no control. But given the wars you've been in, uh, all the, the emphasis in the media about post-traumatic stress disorder, did you experience that? Or just... No. Do you know, I, didn't, I never even heard of it. 
until uh, we came back and um, there was a guy called an RAF psychologist called Gordon Turnbull who turned up at Hereford and he's explaining about PTSD. Never even heard of it un until then. Fortunately, because of you know the, the way that, 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 that I, I, I look at things, um, you know, one of the very fortunate ones. Never even heard of it before. And certainly in a battalion, um, and again, it, it, battalions can be quite a, a sort of a, 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 a non-forgiven existence, quite a brutal existence. Again, lots of young men who are trying to kill, basically. And um, so people who would commit suicide during my time in a battalion, you know, they weren't suffering PTSD, which they clearly were. Uh, we call them jellyheads. Uh, just trying to get out of it and all that. And you didn't go to hospital, you went to jail. <laughs> you, really? go, you go to the jailers, you go to the battalion jailers, you know, uh, you know, people trying to, you know, cut themselves and all this where they needed help as opposed to just going to jail because they're jellyheads. They're just trying to get out of stuff or they're weak. Um, and and it, again, it was the first time I've heard of it um, and became aware of it. And obviously then the two 9-11 wars uh, uh, came on and, 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 you know, and it is a, a major, major problem. Even the, you know, the, the, the Greeks, uh, ancient Greeks spoke about PTSD mm. and the way that the soldiers coming back from campaigns where they needed time to rest and relax. They would go back to their families and they come back a year later. Some wouldn't because they're still suffering. It, it, it's, you know, it's a, a natural reaction to an abnormal event. And there's now it, it been involved with the, the MOD, with, with uh, PTSD and uh, numerous sort of organisations. Um, there's about 15% of the population, whether it's military or civilian, that are susceptible to PTSD at different levels. You know, and PTSD could be, um, you could be rear-ended in your car mm. and basically you get PTSD because you then start to think about the possibilities with your kids in the back, what might have happened. Mm. And, and basically it's a mechanical, literally a mechanical problem. So when we process stuff, we, we, we literally say we will take, depending, you know, if you're left or right-handed, you'll process one and one half of your brain and then it, it, it processes, it goes into the other half of your brain and that's why you you know you have dreams and the, the different ways that you process whatever it may be problem is if you like the fuse between the left and the, and the right hand side of the brain is gone so what happens is that's why people have nightmares and flashbacks because yeah. as they're trying to process it can't go anywhere and that's when the problems the good thing is is that it can be sorted out it really can be it's a great success rate the problem is because of you know certainly certainly men and young men, mm. everybody's macho. You can't even get a guy to go to the doctors if his legs falling off. Mm. Of so you're getting a young man, uh, you know, who, who thinks he's suffering. He's not going to go and get help because mm. he's deemed as being weak in his head. So a lot of the work is going, lads, it's all right. Go and get it sorted out. It's easy because it is quite. Once once it's gripped, it's all right. And I've had friends even from the the, the you know my infantry days, mm. uh, which is the major problem. Then you know you get these guys coming out. They get married. They have kids. Mortgages. You know all that stuff that goes on then they start to suffer because they haven't seek help and then what happens is they suffer but not only them the wives and the kids suffer mm. and then if it all goes wrong then we as a state then got to come in and support him with a mortgage or so he's saying lads you've got to and there's been big moves with the MOD to actually have literally walking centres in conjunction with the NHS to get people to go in and go it's all right and 90% of them say the reason I've come is because my wife said if I didn't so it's the, the, it's the wife's excuse. Yeah, yeah. Sure. If the wife said then she's going to leave me, you go, well, that's fine. As long as you go, who yeah. cares? But it is a major problem, major problem. You obscure your identity. Um, has there ever been a situation, therefore, where given the amazing experiences you've had, um, that you've encountered someone else who says they're only been up? Yeah, 
Have you? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> in um, in in North London, in um, oh, uh, not Highgate. Bloody hell! Uh, Black, uh, not Blackheath. When was this? Hampstead Heath. Oh, yeah. this was years ago. This must have been about six, seven years ago. We was going to uh, Hampstead Heath. So we got the tube uh, with my wife. We was going to a Chinese uh, restaurant on the on the high street there, and we were going to meet you know people, all that sort of stuff. So he walked o- over the road, and um, and there's a pub with a courtyard, you know, summertime, all that sort of stuff. So it was half hour early, and Annie McNabb was in there. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was great. And it's, it's, in Hampstead. In Hampstead, Hampstead. Yeah, on on the high Hampstead High Road, right okay, by the yeah. tube station. Uh, great. So we, what's going on here? And and, and listened, and it was great. So was, <laughs> how, did, how did how did he how did that? Oh, yeah, start? Well, we were just there, and he was he was talking. First of all, he was talking about the regiment and all that. And in London, there's about a million and a half people alone who reckon they're in the special air service. You know, were in you know, and all this. So that, you know, you sort of listen sometimes because it's some of it. It's either really annoying or really funny. You know, it's never. You know, it's all right. You know, people try and chat up women and all that, but then they start getting all sort of serious about it. So I sort of just had a, had a, a listen. He was just waffling away. And then my wife said, he said, oh, that's Andy McNabb. We just heard it. It's Andy McNabb. We go, really? So we're listening in. And he was all right. I thought, yeah, he's a yeah, good ambassador. <laughs> you know, just let him get crack on with it. And we had... Um, did, you, did you want to say... No, no, um, let him get on with it. And uh, there was a, a guy... I uh, got a letter from the Greek publishers. said, thank you very much for you know, giving time up on your holiday, going into some bookstores or wherever it was, you know, signing books and all that. It was very much appreciated, lovely, you know, great... Um, and so I wrote back, yep, not a problem. I hadn't been there for about 10 years. So someone had been going around, I was like signing away. Great. A signed book's a sold book, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, all good. Get more of them going out there. No, but it goes on all the time. goes on all the time. There's a guy who spent a weekend in a pub. There's a lot of publicans who have this informal help. Again, PTSD and all that. Certainly in places like Aldershot and, 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 and Gloucester, uh, in Gloucester and places like that where there's big military. And uh, a lot of the publicans, because they'll notice it and all that, and they, 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 they have, it's a sort of loose organisation where they help lads, you know, during the weekends and all that sort of stuff, rather than getting drunk and, you know, they help them out and all that. And there was, uh, uh, there was, a, there was a, a guy who turned up at a pub at, uh, at, uh, at Aldershot who said it was one of the, the, the Bravo 2 uh, lads called Dinger. And he spent a whole three days there. So he had three days living there in, the, in this pub and, you know, having a great time and all that. And then, not him at all. <laughs> and I met this pub guy. He said, are you sure? Look, it's a pit. I go, no, it's not him. <laughs> well, yeah, it goes on all the time. The real Thanks so much yeah, for your pleasure. time. Pleasure. Thank pleasure. you. Thank Take you. care. Thank you. Thank you.